Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Cafecito con Estrellita. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hola mi gente, welcome to Cafecito con Estrellita. I hope you're doing well today. Now, this week, I will be having a cafecito con Melba Tellez. If you tuned in during the month of Latinx Hispanic Heritage Month, I actually did a virtual panel with this amazing mujer, and she definitely, definitely is the definition of what it means to be a first-generation Latina in the sense that she is so hardworking and hecha ganas con todas las cosas que ella hace with the self-love that you can clearly see within her. And I was so excited to have this interview with her because I want all of you to hear her story, resonate with what you can, and gain new knowledge that you didn't know you needed because that's definitely how I have felt once I had met Melba virtually. So a little background about her. She has her master's degree and she's actually a marketing manager at Amazon and is the CEO founder of Mujeres on the Rise. Now, mi gente, I'm going to be straight up honest too. Even though I have worked with her in the past, we do know each other pretty well at this point where she called me her friend and ah, I started to fangirl a little bit. Um, I was pretty nervous for the first 20 minutes of the episode that my leg just kept shaking. I even told her that, and you'll probably hear me say it eventually. But other than that, mi gente, I could just, honestly, with all my guests, I can pretty much give them a 10-minute inter interview intro, if that makes sense. But I'm just going to go ahead and let this episode speak for itself, and she'll give you, you know, towards the end, a little sneak peek of what you should prepare for if you're a Latina trying to get a career in tech. Yes, of course. So for starters, thank you so much for the invitation, Estrella. I really appreciate your your platform and just inviting me into your space. So yes, as you mentioned, mi nombre es Melva. I am a marketing manager at Amazon, the proud, proud founder of Mujeres on the Rise. And to tell you a little bit about me, well, my background was far from conventional. I actually dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old to help out my family financially. I was actually raised in a single-parent household, and my mom had lost her job. We were living in Monterrey, Mexico at the time. And when she lost her job, of course, being from a Latina household, I didn't think twice. I just quit school so that I can get a job and help out. And, you know, it was it was a little unsettling for me because I always had this big dreams. I wanted to be a marketer, a lawyer, a journalist. There were so many things that I wanted to do. But if I'm completely honest with you, I never really felt like I was destined for success. And really, that all comes from the fact of the background that that I came from, right? So being a first-gen Latina and coming from a low-income household, I, I wanted all of these things, but I just didn't think they were possible for somebody like me. And then, of course, when I quit school to get a job, that kind of validated that thought, that negative thought that I had been carrying with me for so long. So needless to say, a lot of time passed. I had a lot of shitty jobs that I was grateful to have because they taught me a lot. But at the same time, it made me realize that I wanted more. And so I kept my job, eventually got my GED, worked all my way up to a master's degree, and now I am the only Latina in my particular team at Amazon. No, wow. Mi gente, if that was not like an inspirational like conversation, I don't I don't know, I don't know what is, but I definitely do want to ask you this, Melva. So Mi gente, Melba, she is very, very dedicated in everything that she does, not only as her career with her career role at Amazon, but also as the founder and CEO of Mujeres on the Rise. And I can speak for this because once again, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, I had met Melba virtually during this whole pandemic. And I had reached out to her and I, I sent her a message asking her everything about like website designing, building, just, just pretty much tips that I could go by. 
And even though um, Melba did not know who I was, she's in Washington and I'm in California. You know, you you wouldn't think that that someone would like reach out and respond to a grad student who's like so many miles away. But she she did that. And she actually went kind of like step-by-step, but very informative of how I can go about designing a website, gave me some amazing references, which I was so glad that she did. And these references, by the way, have been featured on her Instagram. So if you ever want to go check that out. Anyways, mi gente, so once she did that, I just like, I already had felt like a connection with not only Melba, but with her brand herself. I truly did feel empowered and I also felt committed to the role that I was currently in, like even more committed than I thought I was. And then eventually I reached out to Melba again. In my mind, I was like, wow, she's probably so over me. Like, why is this grad student still <laughs> like kind of talk to me? And then um, I reached out and it was actually because I, I wanted her to like look over a cover letter for me because I was trying to you know, move up in in my role at the school district I work at. And I was totally honest with her. I'm like, I don't have that much money. And that's why I'm trying to move up in my career because I'm trying to pay for my tuition, but also pay for the things that I want to help help this podcast. And could you please just look over my cover letter? I'd really appreciate it. If I do have to pay your so-so fee, I will do so. Just, just let me know. I love your work. And then she was so kind and she was like, no, I'd, I'd love to look over it. And she did. And well, let me just tell you, I did move up in my career role, as I know many of you know, because, well, if you listen to the podcast, you probably watch my IG stories where I'm like, I love my <laughs> job. <laughs> so there is all that. So Melva, you you just heard me pretty much fangirl more about you, which by the way, mi gente, I'm actually still nervous right now. My leg is shaking under my desk because of how <laughs> nervous I am and honored to have Melva like right in front of me virtually. But Melva, based on everything I had just told you, how my thoughts were going at that time, how do you like, do you, do you want to share any comments, like your feedback? How did you feel as you kept getting this cafecito girl, like hitting you up through the DMs, <laughs> requesting for assistance, but also in like a polite way? <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. I have nothing but good things to say. Honestly, so I get a lot of messages from people, which I am honestly so grateful for because that's the purpose of my platform. That's the purpose of Mujeres on the Rise. I really just started the platform because I wanted to empower as many mujeres as I can. And your whole story of you being honest and transparent about not having the funds at the time, it honestly spoke to me because it happened to me um, when I first moved in with my now husband to actually you know, start our lives together. I, at the time, was still just a, a, a high school dropout. Well, I can't even speak. Um, at the time, I was still just a, a high school dropout. And we had nothing, Estrella. We had literally no furniture. We had enough for one month's rent of an, in our apartment. We slept on the floor, ate on the floor. And now we both have these careers in tech. Uh, my husband, for, for those that don't already know who I am, my husband actually works at Google and I work at Amazon, as mentioned. And I feel like, honestly, now that we are in this place of privilege, it's our time to give back. So anytime that somebody just reaches out to me and just openly tells me what they're struggling with, if I can help, I am more than happy to do so. No, definitely. And let me just tell you, Mijente, her her work truly shows it. Not only in the sense where she's truly being that representation figure in her career role, but also with just her branding. And you can just see me, Hente, like her brand just continues to grow and grow because her audience, they feel that authentic, authentic feelings from her. They feel and can see all the hard work she's putting into it. And I'm just glad that it's being like, you know, fully recognized, which by the way, you did an amazing job during Latina Equal Pay Day. Let me just tell you, those reels <laughs> you uploaded, the the way you just like structured all the posts, like how was that for you um, creating the content specifically for Latina Equal Pay Day? Well, first off, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate it. So Latina Equal Pay is one of my favorite topics to talk about. Last year, I felt like I 
was really passionate on my stories. If you go and watch the highlights from last year, you'll see the exact same type of energy. And really, it's just something that I feel really strongly about. So I tried to prep as much content as I can. But I will say, I am by no means an expert on reels or TikTok. It's just, it's something that I struggle with. I must have spent at least two hours on one of those reels. And then (laughs) I was just like, why did I do this? And that's actually the one that ended up getting shared the most. So I was like, okay, this is proof once again, that when you work hard at something, even though you may not see the rewards immediately, they will happen. They will happen little by little. And you just have to have that confidence and just keep moving forward. No, definitely. But yes, your content for that day was (laughs) awesome. And I love the fact that you even mentioned yourself. If you look back on your highlights, you had the same amount of energy. And oh my goodness. (laughs) I honestly feel like more people need to really take the time to understand what's at stake with equal pay because it's really easy, at least for me. I know when I first heard about this, you know, this concept, I, it was easy for me to just brush it off as something that wasn't necessarily impacting me because, you know, you make this certain amount of money and you become accustomed to this certain amount of money that you never really stop to think about what you're not getting or what you could have. So yes, I, I won't go too into de- too much into detail here because I could honestly talk about equal pay for like an hour. But but yeah, definitely go listen to the or check out the highlights on my Instagram if you're interested. And well, you just heard this, Mijente. If you want to hear her talk more about Latina equal pay, go ahead and give her a follow on Instagram, Mujeres on the Rise. I'm telling you, this this episode's just going to be <laughs> highlighting you and all your successes, which I already knew was going to happen. But like, I just feel like every five minutes I'm saying Mujeres on the Rise, Mujeres on the Rise. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. No, but I'm here to give you anything that you need from me. And I know what you're doing with your with your podcast is incredible because more, I mean, there's just this, this knowledge gap. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing to close it. And I appreciate yours too. Oh my goodness. So then going back to just acknowledging one another, especially as Latina women, mi gente, I just, I told Melba this earlier before we actually hit record, because I know as many of you, as many as you may have known that I, I like to have like, you know, my coffee chat settings before I actually hit record. And Melba truly is the example of paving the path for first gen. Cause here's the thing. As she has mentioned, she is first gen. So she did the college path, had many different rocky challenges, just all those things. But here she is working at Amazon. She has her own, you know, company for Mujeres on the Rise. And it's like, wow, how does like your mom feel about that? Like you exceeded what was expected of us as first gen Latinas coming here. Like, I have to ask, how is your mom when you tell her about Mujeres on the Rise? (laughs) That's a good question. And I know we talked about this. And honestly, I'm going to just be as transparent and vulnerable as I can because I feel like there is a lot of value in that. And, you know, usually when you try to find information about any topic, you'll go online and people are really positive. They'll tell you all the good stuff. And that's not necessarily something that we can all relate to. We can't, you know, we can't relate to perfection because perfection does not exist. And when people put out things that just all the time are perfect and, you know, you're putting on a facade, it's really hard to connect with somebody. But all this to say that it's, it's interesting because my mom, I feel like now she is really proud of me and she does do her best to vocalize that. And she's really proud to say, mi hija trabaja para Amazon and things of that nature. But that wasn't always the case. And the reason it wasn't always the case is because I am honestly the black sheep of my family. So I am the youngest of three three daughters. And my sisters and my mom all live one block away from each other. And I was the only one that left that decided to leave first to go to graduate school, which was an hour and a half away from my hometown. And then after I left for graduate school, I come to my mom and I'm like, mom, adivina que, now I am leaving to Seattle because I just got a job at Amazon. And I mean, it would be silly of me not to take advantage of this amazing opportunity. And she cried so much during that time. She cried when I left. She cried when I told her and she told me, I'm happy that you're happy and I'm happy that you are you know, making your dreams come true, 
But at the same time, I know there was this heartache involved because she felt like she was losing a part of herself. And my mom always, I don't know if it's just the Latina thing or if it's just a my mom thing. I think it's just my mom. But she always had this idea of, again, I'll, I'll reiterate that I was raised in a single parent household. So my dad was never in the picture. And my mom had this idea of, you know, just me, my two sisters and her living in this big house all together and growing old together and never leaving. And it's strange because in her dream, we all had children of our own. So she expected her daughters and her grandchildren, but like nobody else. And of course, me coming to her with this with this notion of, you know what, I am uprooting my life once again and leaving. I mean, it was hard. It was a hard pill to swallow, but I do feel like she's getting better. And I am trying my best as well to continue to share with her as much as I can to kind of show her and educate her because a lot of this is just education, generational, sorry, generational differences um, because she's not as familiar with like online platforms and online communities. I kind of have to fill her in and tell her, well, this is what I'm doing for my job and this is what I'm doing on the side and this is what I'm doing for, I don't know, to grow professionally or personally. And this is what I'm doing. I have like 20 projects at once. So it's probably also a lot for her to keep up on. No. And I, I have to um, take a few step backs. <laughs> so, you know how you had mentioned that your mom had always had this idea of having todas sus hijas in la misma casa de ella with their grandkids. <laughs> My mom has the same thing. <laughs> Okay, I, I not, thought it was only mine. <laughs> no, literally, she's always like, Estrellita, when are you going to come back? We're, if we're not all living in the same house, we're all going to have the same, we're all going to have our own house in the same cul-de-sac because back in LA, where I'm originally from, or Orange County more specifically, um, we live in a cul-de-sac. We've always lived in one. So she's always had this idea. So I really think it's a Latina mom thing. So don't feel alone. I'm with you. I feel you because it's like, I want to make you happy, mom, but I also know what are my needs to grow as a woman to grow as a first gen Latina in general to make you proud but also make myself and then yeah, going and go on go on yeah so honestly that's something that I that I struggle with a lot because sometimes I do feel honestly like I'm a terrible daughter because so I think I mentioned this but my mom had me when she was 40 I'm, I'm not sure if I, I mentioned this here or earlier on today to someone else but Anyways, my mom had me when she was 40 and I, I am now 28. So my mom is getting close to her 70s. And I that does scare me. I feel like a terrible daughter sometimes because I can't specifically this year just fly out and see her as easily because of COVID. And I'm like, okay, am I a terrible daughter? Am I wrong for wanting to put my dreams first? Because that is something that first gen, first gen Latinos have to struggle with a lot is okay, how do I balance this emotional attachment to my parents and to my family? Because it's very much embedded in our culture. How do I merge that with my dreams and what I want for myself? And that's so interesting you say that because I have mentioned on a previous episode that when my mom was pregnant with me, she was she was in her early 20s, I believe, because she got married very young. She was 15. And while she was pregnant with me, she was learning English, studying for her GED, and um, she was getting her license. So that kind of explains why Estrellita is the way she is. However, with my case, although she did have me young, ever since, and I know I've said it to you, and I've, I've said it briefly in other episodes, but one of my big reasons to like drop out of the original grad program I was in, and then like you know, reapply. I got into the one I'm in and I, I'm just so happy that I'm with an amazing cohort that I love. My professors are super awesome. And my goodness, how, how can I say this? All the, but once I did the move over here, pretty much started again. And I did this move because an uncle of mine that was very, very close to had passed away. And then going back to the whole collectivistic mindset, when you're a Latina, Latinx individual, you want to do anything to like keep La Familia stronger. And although my mom is younger, she's like in her mid 40s now or late 40s, one of those two, you know what I mean? <laughs> I, I genuinely, genuinely almost every night. And I know it also goes back to just the way that my uncle like, you know, left our world. I wake up thinking, 
am I a horrible daughter? Because any moment my mom could just, you know what I mean? So that's why when, when I start to feel myself get into those fields, because it's true, like life is just so precious. So we have to do whatever we can to enjoy it the best way we can and just make memorable moments and whatnot. But what I personally do, because I just, I want to continue to not only make myself proud, but also like include my parents the best way that I can. I actually FaceTime my mom so much that even when I'm planning content for the podcast, I'll call her and I'll keep her on FaceTime and I'll ask her, what do you think if I do this? Should I include this? And then she like kind of gets into it, but then she's like, wait, why are you doing this again? <laughs> because <laughs> it's something so, so new or like, for example, well, cause right now I'm studying for exams. So I'm not in courses studying for exams. So when I'm studying for exams, if I feel that, oh, I have not talked to her and like, if I haven't talked to her for more than two days, but I know I need to study, I'll, I'll call her with FaceTime, but I'll keep her there on FaceTime, but she has the phone on mute and then I keep the phone on mute. So it's just our virtual company. Oh, wow. I love that. You know what I mean? And she's watching her novela, está limpiando, está hablando con mis otras hermanas. But we still have, because at the end of the day, Melba, if you really think about it, it's all just company. You could still do all your amazing things that you're doing, running a company, doing your path in higher education, which I'm assuming now you've finished with your master's. I don't know if you're going to go to doctorate. I wouldn't be surprised if you do because you're amazing. (laughs) But it's it just goes back to company and just feeling like just reminding our parents the best way we can that we do love them. We're just also chasing our dreams. And I know they're happy for us. They're just trying to like you know, find a way to like be happy for us, but also like not cry so much. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I I can relate to that on so many levels. And honestly, I do the same thing. I, when I got the new products that I just posted on the Mujeres on the Rise Etsy page, I called my mom, I was showing her on video, like all the products and, you know, she was doing her best to understand. She actually really got excited about the products because that's something that obviously she, she doesn't need to like too much background on. But, but yeah, I do my best, but then of course there's this guilt and it's not just guilt with that. There's also other guilt where, and, and sorry, I don't know if this is a question you're going to ask, but I'm going to tell you anyways. Um, there's also this guilt when you're like the first Latina to, I don't know, get a job in tech, the first Latina in your team, the first Latina to get a master's, the only Latina in your graduate program, whatever the case may be, you kind of feel the sense of responsibility that whatever you do or do not do is a reflection of all other Latinas out there. So when you are not working, you also encounter this guilt associated with not working because you're like, wow, I am not just uh, representing myself. I'm representing all of these other Latinas and I should really go back and study, or I should really go back and read, finish this, this book I was reading, or I should really go and, you know, learn something new because resting almost seems like a reward when resting is not really a reward. Resting and self-care is something that is just a basic human need. And if you treat it like a reward, you're going to end up getting burnt out. No, definitely. I don't know how I ended up on this side of the conversation. but No, but I love it. And honestly, it was probably already in the back of your mind because earlier today, mi gente, on my IG, I always post things in on my stories. If it's not like, you know, school related content, it's it's some inspirational thing. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, Melba was one of the first ones to comment. I'm going to go ahead and pull up that Twitter post if I can. So fun fact, when I do interviews, Solo episodes, not too much, but when I do interviews, I purposely keep my phone on airplane mode because I do not want, like, you know, like unnecessary text messages that didn't need to come through, come through. And then there's a bunch of dinging and well, you know what I mean, but yes, I'm going to go ahead and read it. So it was posted by the Twitter user was Juliet C-O-B-O-D-O. Yes, I spelled it because I did not want to butcher her name because, well, Sometimes I mess up, but yes. And she literally tweeted burnout exists because we've made rest a reward rather than a right. And I think that's that's where I got it from. Thank you for bringing that up. Yes. 
Yeah. And you were actually like one of the first people to like comment real quick. So what I'm also starting to do now too, is with like my IG stories, I'll put little poll questions like, Oh, do you resonate with this? What are your thoughts with this? So, you know, like have my listeners, my first gen hint that like feel some kind of connection, like more of a connection is what I'm saying, because to build that interpersonal connection through the virtual world can sometimes feel tricky, but then I also know there's just ways to find it. So Menda, with Mujeres on the Rise, can you give us some examples on how you feel you're building those connections where people are like, it's Menda, she's like here, you know? (laughs) Well, I honestly think it all starts with the branding. Branding is so important and this is pretty much applicable to anything, whether you have a business or you don't have a business. You are a marketer by nature. And I tell this to everybody and they're almost always shocked because, you know, I I have a master's in marketing and people always think, well, I mean, how am I a marketer if I didn't study marketing? Well, we're all marketers from the day we, you know, gain awareness because from the moment you get up and how you decide to present yourself every single day, that is your brand. And whether we like it or not, people are going to make assumptions based on how you present yourself, the way that you speak, the way that you communicate, the way that you dress, people are going to make all of these assumptions. So really you are your own brand and you need to portray yourself in the best light possible. And when I say best light possible, I'm really not talking about you know, trying to meet other people's expectations or satisfy, you know, whatever bucket they want to put you in. What I'm talking about is specifically living up to how you want to live your life. So there's, there's a really common saying out there that says, if you want to be X person, you need to start showing up as her. And that's really true. So if you want to be the top of your class, well, then you need to start acting the part and show up as the person top of your class, or if you want to be the best marketer, the best communicator, start showing up as that person that you envision yourself being. Look, look to those role models that you already have and think about what could I do now that'll k- get me closer to being, to following in those footsteps of, of that role model. No, definitely. And then going back to like, in regards to like role modeling and whatnot, Obviously, you are a very big role model to me, as well as the other (laughs) 4,000 plus followers you have for Mujeres on the Rise. I wanted to ask, although you do lead so much by example really, really well, have you ever had moments where you've experienced anything related to like college or career heartbreak? And how have you gone about it? What can you share with our audience? Because I know you're fully aware that our audience is mainly first-gen gente, so just give us some of your wisdom, your magic, everything you can. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I'll tell you that one of my like college heartbreaks was when I actually started graduate school. So I'll take it a step back and actually give you a little bit of context. So when I was graduating with from undergrad, I was studying for the GRE so that I can get into to grad school. And I worked so hard, Estrella, during that period. I worked so damn hard. I was doing finals for undergrad. I was working a full-time job 10 hours a day. I was really, really on top of my fitness that year to the point where I was counting macros and counting every single thing that I was eating. I was going to the gym a lot, studying for the GRE. And then here I was. I finally got that acceptance letter, and it was my top choice university. I went to UT, so the University of Texas in Austin, and I got in and I couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, like I, I fucking did it. I'm sorry. I don't know if you say bad words on your It's okay. It's go for it. Go for it. (laughs) So I was like, wow, I, I did this and I was so excited. So ended up moving, went to Austin, started my first day. And then I get there. The first day was actually a breakfast assembly. So they wanted all of the people from the master's programs to meet for this breakfast. I find an empty seat. I put down my bag. And then I look up Estrella and every single person on that table was white. And I remember feeling so small, so out of place, so underrepresented. I felt short. I felt stubby. I felt ugly. And I just, I felt like shit. I felt like shit. Like all of these dreams and hopes that I had were shattered in that one moment. And I remember 
we were having conversations, but honestly, I, I can't remember anything that was said that day because as these conversations were going on, I just kept thinking like, what the heck am I doing here? The university made a mistake. I don't belong. And then I got out of that breakfast assembly. I called my husband and I was like, the university made some kind of mistake. I don't belong here. I don't fit in. And mind you, I was transferring from a university. The university where I did my undergrad was primarily Latinos because in San Antonio, there is a lot of, you know, a lot of Latinos around. But in Austin, there's really, really not. There's these little pockets, but they're very segregated. But anyways, I called my husband and I told him this. I told him I feel out of place. And he's like, why? Like, what happened? And I told him, because everybody here looks like they just stepped out of a J. Crew catalog. And I didn't even I, I didn't even process those thoughts. They just naturally came out of my mouth because that's how I felt at that moment. Like I just didn't fit in. Like and, and it was hard. It was hard because this was my dream. I had worked for it and there I was feeling again like this short stubby person in the corner who just shouldn't have been there to begin with no definitely and well let me just say that we I am so glad and happy to see that you one not only graduated but you got an amazing job and I wanted to ask so during that whole journey how did you just find yourself to continue to feel motivated to go to your courses, study for your exams, finish your projects? How did you find it? So honestly, it was hard at first. I remember that first semester, I really did consider dropping out. Um, the problem for me, or not problem, but the reason I didn't, I didn't drop out was because I had uprooted my entire life. So my husband and I actually owned our own house. I bought my first house when I was 21. And we had our own house and we sold that house. We moved. I quit my job so that I can pursue graduate school. And then I kind of just felt like if I quit, then I'm really just, I'm a failure because I just altered my life to be here and I can't quit. So it was really hard at the beginning. But once I found my people, the people that I could connect with, that made all the difference of the world in the world. And I found that I actually wasn't the one, the only one that was overwhelmed. And I also realized that one of the reasons why I was really, really overwhelmed, not just with the fact that there wasn't Latina representation, but also in the amount of coursework, not the amount of coursework, the, the type of coursework, because I wasn't a master of science programs. It was very, very difficult. And I came to, to realize that part of the reason why it was so difficult for me and why I was struggling with all of these science programs is because I had quit high school. I felt like I was playing catch up with statistics and things that a lot of my, my peers learned a long, long before I ever did. So I had to go back and relearn everything that I didn't learn because I was a high school dropout. And then on top of that, once I had this foundational knowledge, I had to take it a step further and learn what I was actually being taught during that semester. So it was a lot of catching up. And I am so glad that I found, especially one, one friend that, I mean, she's one of my best friends now, Rebecca, if you're listening, I love you. But yeah, she, she's incredible. And because I found her, I was really able to push through. And that, and that comes back to the, the importance of finding community and somebody that's there encouraging you to, to go on. No, definitely. And I was about to add to that about the whole community thing. So as I've shared with you and in the past, I officially started my first semester of my grad program during this past summer. So, you know, pandemic, but like, you know, earlier on. <laughs> and um, what's it called? So everything's virtual. I met everyone there virtual. And if it wasn't for like the group chats that me and my virtual colleagues created, I don't know how we would have done it because obviously we would communicate and talk about, hey, there's this assignment coming up. Do you want to split the reading? Da, 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 da. But we would also have moments where we would just disclose information and share. Why does it have to be so much reading? Like more <laughs> of like a venting type of session. And that is definitely such a big help too. Like you don't really think about it, but when you think about it, it makes a difference because <laughs> it's nice to have that group 
of individuals, especially individuals who are Latinas, where not only do you like push through together, you're like, okay, I'm going to study this. You study this. We come back together, talk it through. Let's try and have our papers done by this time so we can edit each other's papers, whatever. And then still be able to be like, dang it, why did I have to wake up at 5 a.m. to get this done? And I have work at 9 a.m. It's all that's it's all the things that come with community that really I feel has pushed me and many other first gen students. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I again, as I mentioned, I would not have made it through without without that community, especially without my close, close friends in graduate school. And even now, even now I find myself sometimes still struggling with imposter syndrome. And I have to remind myself, well, I've done a lot. And anytime that I'm feeling down, I know I have this handful of people that I can go to and will remind me to step into my power and will remind me what I'm worth. And honestly, that's very valuable. It's really important that you find those people that will push you to be better and that will remind you of your worth because inevitably we're all going to experience these moments of doubt. And I think it's important to just be okay with that, be comfortable with that, and then reach out when you need to because we're all worthy. We're all worthy. And if we're having trouble recognizing that, there are people out there that will be able to remind us. No, definitely. So now I would really like to transition because it's important for our listeners to really know that college heartbreak, it happens, whether you're in the undergrad level, the grad level, post-bachelorette level. But I want to now transition into the career type of heartbreak, because here's the thing. And I know this because like I said, I I like to put in a lot of time to my podcast. I mean, as much time as I can while still (laughs) doing other things. And I know that, I know that there are resources on on campuses to help first-gen students, to help Latinx students and so forth. But I also know just like sharing stories makes such a big difference for students who are or were in our shoes. But I feel like what also still needs to be continued on is just talking about life after undergrad for a Latinx minority graduate, if you really think about it, because our families will cheer us on. Oh, get this degree. Study (laughs) for this. I've never been to college, but it, it looks promising. So you have like people pushing you or maybe it's not your family. You have friends that are pushing you to do it. But then once you graduate, you're kind of like, well, now what? And then that can lead to like postgraduate depression and I can go into a different episode about postgraduate depression, but overall, I want to hear from you, the expert, because I consider you an expert in my eyes. (laughs) How would you explain career heartbreak? What kind of advice do you have for first-gen Latinx students, whether they want to stop at undergrad or after their master's? How can they go about handling career heartbreak when and if it comes? Yeah, that's that's an excellent question. So I'll start by saying that You know, college will open a lot of doors for you, so many doors. And I am a huge, huge advocate for going to college and furthering your education as much as possible. We should always be learning. But college is no guarantee of success, and it's no guarantee that you're going to land the job of your dreams. Again, it will open doors for you, but Actually, getting to that point where you want to be, that is entirely up to you. And it doesn't just require a college education. It requires so much more. Um, I will share that when I went to graduate school, I, I made this assumption that going to graduate school was going to grant me any job that I wanted anywhere that I wanted it. I was like, well, very few people go and get a master's degree. I'm going to be one of those people and jobs are just going to be swinging towards me left and right. And that was not the case. It was not the case at all. And in graduate school specifically, it was really hard because as we were getting closer to graduation, the university was really pushing us to find that opportunity because of course they care about their university stats. And There were other people that were getting jobs and I just wasn't getting anything. And I started to compare myself. I started to feel really out of place. And eventually I started interviewing for one specific tech company. And I worked so hard, Estrella, to get that damn interview. 
I networked like I had never networked before. I met so many people. I, I ended up making like 10 or 15 connections at that particular company. I practiced for the interview like there was no tomorrow. I practiced for the interview as if my finals were non-existent to the point that I neglected some because I'm like, okay, I know I'm graduating. My grades are good. I can afford to not study for this test because I can wing it and I'm really good and I can just focus on this interview. And so I did. I interviewed and it was actually a six-step interview process, which is really intense but it's very common in the tech industry. So typically you'll have like five or six rounds of interviews, one of which actually involves interviewing with five different people. So just picture that you're talking to a total of about 10 to 12 people. But anyways, all this to say that I nailed the interviews and I know I nailed the interviews. I made it all the way to the last step. And then after that last step, I did not get the job offer because I was told that they were looking for somebody with more experience, which was a totally valid point, except for the fact that I had applied for an entry-level position and they told me, you're overqualified, you should apply for this higher-level position. And then I interview, make it all the way to the end, and now they're telling me, hey, you know what, you're underqualified. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But... That moment was shattering for me because I had spent about six or seven months invested in this job and I had put all my eggs in in that one basket, as some people would say. And then it just, everything shattered right before me and I didn't have a plan B or a plan C or any other plan for that matter. And I think this just comes back to the importance of not only thinking as, don't think as college as the way out. Um, Or I'm sorry, don't think of college as a guarantee of what you're going to do. Instead, look at it as a stepping stone, a stepping stone to get into that next position and really just take a step back when you do encounter these moments of heartbreak and figure out what you can learn from it. And honestly, this is really hard to do at the beginning and we're all going to experience rejection at one point or another. But It's really hard to see where you went wrong at the beginning. So I encourage everybody to just take three to four months, take as long as you need, and then go back and reflect and think, what could have I done better? And where did I go wrong? And what can I do next time to land that job? And that's what I ended up doing. And then that's what eventually led me to to my job that I have now at Amazon. And wow, your story's just mind-blowing. Now, I want to ask you a question in regards to Latinas in tech. So it's no secret that our our society with first-gen students are really advocating for Latinas in tech to just keep rising. I mean, we haven't we have an entire nonprofit called Latinas in Tech Org to like, you know, <laughs> help make them. that happen. I know I love them too. I hope you get a chance to speak on there. I really do. Like you'd be <laughs> so be perfect great. for it. Like, oh my goodness. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens though one day. Anyways, so I wanted to ask, like, although we advocate so much what kind what kind of like tips or inspiration do you feel you could share with our listeners in regards to like keeping them motivated or keeping them feeling confident when they're going through that six step interview process cuz that is so much like i thought <laughs> sitting through two different panel interviews was a lot but now hearing this and i feel like a lot of people don't like i didn't know that i feel like so many people don't know how much it takes to get into these positions. Like if they, if more people would know how many interviews you have to sit through just to get into a tech position, then I know people would really like more people would really be pushing like, okay, let's get more Latinas on up here. So yeah. What are your thoughts on everything? I'm just saying pretty much. (laughs) So yeah, the process in tech is really, really difficult. I've you know, I've been working since I was, again, 16. I've had so many job interviews and this process was by far the most complicated. And again, I've been through it twice, one of which was successful and the other was not. But you learn every single mistake that you make, every, you know, every rejection, every single thing is going to push you towards becoming a better professional, a better communicator, a better interviewer. And that's the way I like to look at things. And Really, when it comes to tech specifically, 
most people do not get in in their first try. I know with software engineers specifically, sometimes they have to try like five or six times before they get an actual job offer because not only do they have to do, you know, these six rounds of interviews, but one of them or several of them, I should say, are tech interviews. So you're just coding while somebody's watching you. So imagine doing your craft, whatever your craft is, imagine doing it with somebody almost breathing down your neck. I mean, it's on an entire different level. So I like to remind myself that if it was easy, everybody would do it. But the stats show that that isn't the case. The stats show that there is a lack of representation, which actually brings me to another comment that I wanted to make is that when you do land these job interviews, you're going to face imposter syndrome. You're going to face a lot of imposter syndrome, even before you get the job. Just having these conversations, you're going to be like, wow, I am speaking to this incredible person who I know is really smart because they went through all this process already before. And you're going to feel out of place. But because there is a lack of representation, we need to remember that we're at the point where these companies need us more than we need them. And if there's anything you take away from this episode, I want it to be that these companies, all companies, not specific to tech companies, they need us more than we need them. Why? Because without representation, you cannot cater to everyone. And all companies have a bottom line, whether it be to sell more products, obtain more customers, grow, scale their business, whatever the case may be, it involves customers and it involves an audience in one way or another. And our audiences, the communities, you know, our cities, our states, America is very diverse. So if you're trying to grow at a large scale, you can't just have a team of white dudes creating these products and creating these services because, you know, these diverse communities are not going to buy into that. You need a diverse team in order to be able to cater to a diverse America. So again, they need us more than we need them. And whenever your imposter syndrome kicks in, that's the first thing you should be reminding yourself of. And last thing, because I'm genuinely curious, and I feel like other other first-gen hands that are listening may be thinking the same thing. Do you need your master's degree to work in a position like yours or similar to yours? Um, no, you don't for my specific role, but it does help. It, it definitely does help. So I would say in my team, there's about half of us that have a master's, half of us don't, half, half people don't, but it definitely helps. And again, while I may not have necessarily gotten this job because I have a master's, I will say that because I have a master's, I got that job interview. And the reason I say that is because Sometimes they won't even look at you. These companies won't even look at you if you're ranked up across all of these other resumes that do have a master's degree. So it really, it does involve some luck because if you happen to apply when just people with bachelor's degrees are applying, then okay, it's they're going to base themselves on your resume and your resume alone. But if you happen to apply when nothing but people with PhDs and master's applied, well, your chances might be a little a little hindered by that. No, definitely. And then, okay, even if it's just two that come up on the, t the top of your head, what types of bachelor's degree should our gente look to gear towards when they're trying to make it into tech? It honestly depends on what you're trying to do and what specifically you want to spend your day-to-day -day doing. Um, honestly, there's no right or there's no wrong way to go in the sense that if you are disciplined and you have this general innate curiosity and you want to learn and explore on your own, you can do that. You can definitely do that. I, I'll say that there's somebody on my team who studied Japanese. She she did her master's in Japanese studies. It has nothing to do with what we do. And she is one of the best performers in our team. So it really, as long as as long as you have that curiosity and that drive, you can always teach yourself. And you also have to remind yourself that what you learn in college is very different from real real world implementation. Sorry to say that newsflash, but most of what you learn in college is not going to be applicable to to real life scenarios. But that just further illustrates the importance of being able to learn things on your own and research things on your own. 
No, yeah, definitely. And I pre- I really appreciate you so much, like going into detail about like the way that you can find your way through tech and how like, you know, what ways can help you as a student overall, like, you know, find your way there. Now, Melva, we are hitting our almost hour mark. So before we keep on going, I do want to ask, is there anything else you'd like to tell our first gen gente or where can everyone find you? Any, any other things you want to share? Just go for it. It's, I mean, it's, it's been your entire time to shine during this whole episode, but (laughs) now it's like, boom, anything you want to say? No, well, it's it's been a true honor to be here with you, Estrella. I, I'll just leave you with my favorite quote of all time, which is, it doesn't matter where you start. All that matters is that you do. And if I can go, if, if I could go from being a high school dropout to now working in tech and having my own company where I empower other Latina women to chase after their dreams... There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that anyone listening can achieve this and so much more. This is really just the beginning for our communities. And the more we share our knowledge with one another, the more we empower one another, the better equipped our Latinx communities are going to be. And we're just going to continue, continue rising. And honestly, that just, it brings so much joy to my heart. But for those of you that do want to connect with me, please join me on Mujeres on the Rise on Instagram. I share weekly career and lifestyle tips. And I also bring on other inspiring Latinas to share their story because that's it's really important that we hear these stories about people that have done it and have made it. And we can see what's possible for ourselves as well. So yes, I hope to see you all there and feel free to DM me. I am really open to anything that I can do to help. No, definitely. And trust me, Mianthe, if you enjoyed this whole conversation I had with Melva, you're going to love her IG stories. Just just trust me, okay? <laughs> and I'll also say, if you want to hear more of her, I'm going to drop a name. Check out A as the podcast. I heard her interview episode there. And again, this is just me fangirling over Melva, but I can say that now my leg isn't shaking anymore. It stopped shaking like 30 minutes in, which I mean, it's still kind of late, but <laughs> it stopped. You're so funny. All right, Mijente. So please don't forget to comment and Subscribe to this podcast, Capacito con Estrellita, and I can't wait to talk to you soon. Bye.